Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hello and welcome. It's Monday, March 7th, and I'm Mark Sly. I serve as the Vice President of International Ministries here at Lifeline Children's Ministries, and it is my pleasure to be spending some time with you as we dive into our second week in a journey through the topics addressed in the book, Image Bearers, by our President and Executive Director, Herbie Newell. Now, this week, we're going to be looking at the idea that abortion destroys God's handiwork and those made in His image. In Psalm 100, verse 3, we read, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Job 33, 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Psalm 119, verse 73 says, Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Later, we find in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Over and over again in scripture, we see the beautiful craftsmanship that God has displayed in creating mankind, in creating you, and in creating me. And this morning, I'd like to walk through Psalm 139 and allow it to guide us to a deeper understanding of how abortion and even the current events in Ukraine destroy the handiwork of God and those created in his image. And before we jump into reading the psalm, I think it's important to talk a little bit about the objective of David's writing. The premise of Psalm 139 is the exposure of mankind's thoughts, deeds, and ambitions in the sight of God, not merely the thoughts or deeds of someone who would order the atrocities that we are viewing on the news or which take place in a clinic toward an unborn child, but truly laying bare the brokenness and sin found in every man's heart, apart from the saving work of Jesus Christ. I think we'll find is this really enlightening element in the light of the fact that we are constantly trying to elude or escape from our circumstances, our feelings, and from God. We try and numb pain through addiction entertain away our hurt. We try to distract ourselves through recreation or reason away our own culpability in our circumstances by garnering the support of others around us with the same perspective across social media, all in an effort just to justify our own actions and somehow make the situation at hand evaporate. I know I'm guilty of doing this even in my own life, and we're all guilty of this. Even in ways that are less destructive or obvious, some hide it behind the work that they pour themselves into, some do it through exercise. But what we're going to find is that the character and nature of God's greatness eliminates our ability to hide from, escape, or justify ourselves when we harm those who are made in his image. So let's jump right in with Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And the psalmist continues in verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them became to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. And then listen to the words of David in verse 21. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what do we see in this psalm as it relates to the gravity of being made in God's image and the magnitude of what it means to being pro-life? First, we see the character of God. Specifically, in verses one through four, it is the omniscience of God. The fact that there is nothing that we experience, nothing that we say, nothing that we do, and nothing that we think that can fall outside the knowledge and awareness of our creator. Psalm 147 says, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. First John chapter three, verse 20 reads, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. We see it over and over, as in Genesis chapter 50, when those who intended to do harm to Joseph are only playing into God's greater, already known plan. In the prophecies of the Old Testament, as they play out in the life of Christ, that we see in the Gospels, and we see it again, even in the interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4, as he lays out her relational history without ever having met her before. There is simply nothing in all of creation or eternity that is not known to him. And not only is it not, is it known, it is not outside of his power. Verse five says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Verse 10 in Psalm 139 says, even there, your hand will guide me. Your hand will hold me fast. And in verse 12, it says, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. 
I love how this concept is echoed into the New Testament when John writes in chapter 10, verses 28 through 30 in his gospel, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And this is Jesus speaking. These are the red letters of the New Testament, so to speak. And then in verse 29, he continues and says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And in verse 30, if you had not already heard the hint of the triune God speaking, hear it here in verse 30, when Jesus declares, I and the Father are one. Jeremiah 32 verse 17 tells us that, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. But I want you to notice something very interesting and very revealing. And quite frankly, I think it's one of the most encouraging things that you could hear today. Look at the nuance of how God leverages his power towards those who are created in his image. It is in care and protection and provision. God's desire in Genesis chapter one is to intimately relate to and with humanity. And then we fast forward all the way to Revelation chapter 22, and it's a promise of return to be with his bride, restoring through the power over death and life, that relationship which sin had broken. And it is this kind of omnipotent strength that beckons us to do exactly what the psalmist David does in verse 6. Look at it, exclaiming, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. That God would not only know us and leverage his strength for us, but look in verses 7 through 9. He is ever present with us. He writes, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, whether you are in Birmingham or in Kansas or South Dakota, in Washington, in Georgia, or even Ukraine today, or in a mother's room, we are never absent from God's thoughts. We are never beyond his ability to act. And you are never without his presence or care. Even now, do we not cling to this when our own circumstances try to deceive us into thinking that God is not aware or not able or just doesn't care enough to act? Truly, I think of our brothers and sisters that we know are still in harm's way in Ukraine. And praise God for those who have made it out. But God has not forgotten them. He beckons them to draw near to him, even in this most dire moment, to carry them through their circumstances, not simply providing for a tomorrow, but having already secured their eternity. God, all-knowing, sovereign, and omnipotent, shepherding his people toward a better understanding of who he is so that they might know him, which brings us to verse 13 where we find ourselves at this climactic point where David draws the reader's attention from the omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence of God to the pinnacle of that which was created, mankind. This is not a description of happenstance. 
It's not chance. It's not random selection. It's not even the overcoming of superior genetics of one species to another. This is God with more delicate precision than the most skilled surgeon, personally weaving together the physical, mental, emotional, and soul components of each and every person. For those of you, even listening to this today, who struggle to see your value beyond the work that you accomplish, the perfection with which you parent, or your relational status that is maybe in question on social media, be reminded that the creator of the universe with all knowledge, ability, and forethought deemed it right and good to make you. With infinite opportunity, he chose to make you and then to send his son to die, providing for your redemption. Praise God. Now, before that creates in us a pride that would lack in a humble perspective, I want us to pause for just a moment and consider just one question. What is David, what is the psalmist highlighting here? It isn't the creation. As magnificent as humanity is, we are not to be praised. It's the work of the creator that he is drawing our attention to, that he is directing us to praise. When we consider abortion or the bloody invasion of a sovereign nation like Ukraine, the greatest tragedy isn't merely the destruction of the finished work of God. It's the denial, dismissal, and disregard for the miraculous work the Lord is doing in that very moment, fashioning the life for instance, of the unborn child before our very eyes. To destroy a work of art completely demonstrates a lack of valuing that artwork, right? You think of a painting, you think of a, a movie, you might think of a song. And if someone were to come along and they just simply destroyed the work because they didn't like the work, well, it, it displays their disregard for whatever the work of art was. But take the case of an unborn child to destroy the work while the artist work is still underway is to demonstrate complete disdain for the artists themselves. So to abort the child is horrific in light of the life being lost. It is unconscionable considering the purpose for which the life had been created, but it is terrifying given the offense toward a holy God. As Jesus hung on a cross, it was the rejection of his son, the icon, the image of the invisible God. And in the insult on a mother's womb, it is a like offense in that is the destruction of a life through whom God chose to bear his image to the world. No, when we consider the life of an unborn child, it is not a choice. It is a reason for the praise of a holy God that that life would have been created and thoughtfully and meticulously brought to bear. We praise God because each life is fearfully and wonderfully made. And yes, it does say fearfully. This Hebrew word, Yahweh, used 314 times in scripture, is translated as fear, afraid, terrible, dreadful, and reverent. It's not speaking of the object being made, but the awe-inspiring manner in which it is created. 
there should be a weighty and healthy awe for the God who that has created in the life of every person an image to be born to the world to display his character and his love and his care. It should not elicit an apathetic inconvenience, but truly a holy reverence. So there was this intimacy in the creation of each one of us, and it continues through each day ordained for us. How precious and vast are God's thoughts for us. Thoughts not only to create us, but to include us into his plan. There's a lot of conversation right now about inclusion, but can I just say that all of the current cultural trends and effort towards inclusion and diversity, they pale in comparison to that of our God. Through his gracious love and inclusion, God created us in his image to reflect the diversity in his creativity. And it is with that purpose in order to communicate his character to the world and throughout all of history. So when we try to redefine what those terms like inclusion and diversity mean, it robs the depth and the richness of what it means to be made in his image. God was not haphazard in his design or execution of our creation. He was meticulous. He was intentional. And he was exerting his power, his wisdom, and even his presence in order to bring life to our material nature. And if that does not bring praise from our lips this Monday, then we need to have our pulse checked. And it is here that there is actually a check. There is a heart check coming. Even for David as he writes this psalm. It comes through the seemingly abrupt shift in David's writing where we jump from the beauty of God's creation and ordination to anger and even hatred. Look at me, uh, look with me one more time at verse 19. It says, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. And then in verse 29, he says, this is David, remember. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. This is one of those passages that I am so grateful for. In it, we find the honest tension that resides in our own hearts between what we know to be true and what we experience in life. Now, what I mean is that you look at the way that David is enthralled with the nature and work of his creator, and he quickly juxtaposes it to his own life, experience, and what he sees in the world around him. If God has so intimately and sovereignly created each and every life, how detestable are those who would treat the work of God and the life of one made in his image with such disregard and cruelty? And the interesting thing is that David becomes defensive of not only those whose lives are treated with a lack of consideration, but his real anger is towards the way in which the wicked have treated God with disdain. He says, they speak of you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? Can I be transparent for a moment? Over the last week, this is probably a passage that I would identify with far more than many others. God, that you would slay Vladimir Putin. Could this evil just depart from Ukraine and its people? Do I not hate those who would take these innocent lives? God, do I not hate those who would separate a young woman 
from her family who deeply wants to see her home and adopted? Should I not hate those who would kill children with a bomb being dropped on an orphanage in Verzel? But the reality is that Psalm 139, in its honesty and transparency, it also exposes my inadequacies and my sin. You see, my outrage oftentimes is more about the way in which I see creation being marred or harmed than I am the name of God defamed. See, in our culture, it's easy to get behind elements of social justice that the lost and the saved can both advocate for. But brothers and sisters, our passion should not merely come from a place where we're offended at the outcome of sin, which is death, but the offensiveness of sin toward a holy God that created and redeemed us at his own expense. And let's be honest, I'm just as guilty as any of those that I just named. I am worthy of just as much outrage from a holy God. And that's hard to swallow. I love the way that Herbie Newell wrote in his book in chapter one, we do not like the message of who we are in our sin. The gospel defines our sin very explicitly. The gospel does not excuse our sin or make it acceptable. The gospel tells us plainly that our lives and our sin are an affront to a holy and perfect God that can only be slayed by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are called to advocate for the lost, the last, and the least, but it is always for the ultimate calling to see the name of our God glorified throughout the earth. This is the reason for which we were created. And when you and I do that, when we are truly offended by the defaming of our God more than the effects we see in the world, we will find that it impacts our hearts the way in which it did David in this psalm when he says, search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If we truly hate that which offends God. We must also realize that the way we have offended God. We have dismissed the holiness of our creator. We've opposed the one who spoke the universe into existence and exalted ourselves as authorities over and above the one who stands as the judge of the universe. There are so many times that I am more offended by the harm toward God's creation than I am of my own actions that harm the name and renown of my Savior. And yet, even while we were sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrating his love towards us. And then exposes our own faults and flaws. Why? So that we can repent and be changed. So what? In light of all that Psalm 139 has highlighted, what do we do? When we see the creative work of God marred, harmed, destroyed by abortion, we do what the psalmist David has done for us. First, we call attention to God's character, never changing, always dependable, always firm character, always being there for us, always strong enough to bear the weight of the burdens that we face always able to know every thought, every action that happens in the world, and will hold it account. The second thing we do is we praise God for who he is and what he's done. 
in light of all of those things that we know about God to be true from his word, we can praise him even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even knowing that lives have been lost today, we can praise him because he has not changed. And we recognize that his hand is leading us, that in his power, in his knowing, and in his presence, he is always working all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Fourth, we invite his continued redemptive work into our own lives. God, that you would examine my heart. God, that you would examine my life. And that, God, you would reveal those things to me that don't just mar creation, but they offend your name. And finally, we fight back, not with anger and hate, but with the gospel and with hope for all those who have been created in his image and have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, those who have surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, let us fight back with that character of God that we know to be true and has been applied to our lives, that character of love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As the world and those around us attempt to escape, entertain, or erase the reminders of their hurt and pain and circumstances, brothers and sisters, may we be found as those who lean in. Lean in with care, lean in with love, and with truth. And may God help us all look more and more like him today than we did yesterday. I want to invite you. We uh, are going to spend some time praying together today. And we're going to be praying for Costa Rica specifically and some of the work that the Lord has been doing that Lifeline has gotten a chance to be a part of. But also we're going to be praying for the work that we've been witnessing, that the Lord is doing not just simply through Lifeline, but also the local church. And then finally today, I would just encourage you, in light of all of the circumstances that we see coming through the news and coming through a news feed on our phones, would I, could I invite you just to pray for those who are in Ukraine? Pray for those who are fleeing conflict and harm and pray for those that are genuinely trying to display the character of God in the midst of conflict that you and I probably can't even begin to imagine today. So with that said, can we pray on Monday for the central authority of Costa Rica? It's known as P-A-N-I. Would you, could you pray for that entity, that government central authority, that the Lord would provide them with wisdom and encouragement and resources as they evaluate children and families so that they would be better taken care of? Could you pray that those who are in leadership in that authority, that they would know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you pray for their legal representation? Pray for them as a team, as they're grieving, because one of the lawyers there that's a part of that organization is, has passed away. Specifically, we'd also invite you to pray for major contacts there, Jorge and Sonia and Elizabeth and Sylvia. Would you pray for 
their knowledge of the Lord's love for them and that they would hear the gospel clearly as we continue to work alongside of them. On Tuesday, we would invite you to pray for the local church and the missionaries and for the work of unadopted. Pray for the churches and missionaries in their efforts to share Christ in their uh, communities. Pray for Ray and Lydia Zirkel, missionaries who run the Methodist Children's Home and are partnering with us for adoptions and, and through our efforts of unadopted. Would you pray for Casa Viva, this Christian nonprofit organization that is running the entire foster care system for the country? Would you pray that they would continue to have influence and continue to be able to represent Christ as they care for these children? Would you pray for Oscar, part of our unadopted team as he develops relationships here with local pastors and congregations to strengthen the network that's there so that, again, the care for the widow and the orphan and those who are lost and last and least, that that care would be coming from a Christ-centered, a gospel-centered place. On Thursday, we invite you to pray for the children of Costa Rica. Pray that they would come to know their Heavenly Father and that He would comfort them in their distress. Pray for more advocates to rise and love and care for them. And would you join us in praising God that we have been receiving files of children who have more significant special needs. Praise God that we have an opportunity to advocate for them. And would you pray with us that God would send adoptive families to care for them and pursue them for adoption and for a forever home. And finally, we'd ask that you would pray for those adopting families. Pray for those who are already home with their children that as they adjust and care for and support these children, that you give them, the Lord would give them wisdom and rest and endurance for this incredibly long and sometimes very difficult task. Would you pray for the children's hearts as they process their own hurt and pain? that they would lean into their family and that they would find that relational connection to come easy and to be something that they can rely on, that that bonding and attachment would take place well. And finally, would you, would you pray for those families who are in waiting? Maybe they're waiting to be matched. Maybe they're waiting to travel. Maybe they're waiting to finish their process there in country. Would you, would you pray that it would come soon? that their process would be completed, that their family would be whole, and that ultimately they would convey the love of Christ each and every day with the children with whom God has blessed them with. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we bring these things to you. God, from families to government entities to churches, God, would you bring all of these resources, all of these relationships to bear in order for your name to be known and praise throughout Costa Rica and all of Latin America. But God, very specifically, that your name would be known and that relationship would begin with these children, that they would know you as Lord and Savior, that they would surrender their heart and lives to you because through the picture of adoption, they would see your love for them. God, we pray for those in Ukraine today, those who have suffered loss, those who are facing conflict and harm, those who have fled, God, would you comfort them in ways that we cannot? God, would they cling to hope, not because of their circumstances, but because of your character? 
And God, we as the body of Christ, would you continue to impassion, embolden, and give us practical ways that we can lean in and display the body of Christ well and lean into these difficult circumstances and sacrifice on their behalf so that, Father, in any way, shape, form, or fashion, we have opportunity. We can provide for the needs that are ever-present. God, we ask that you would continue to lead us, God, to, to look at our own sin and see it not just simply as something harmful to those around us, but something that is absolutely opposed to your holiness and your glory. God, help us to look at our own hearts and our own lives, those things that would be offensive to you. So that, God, we can pursue you and loving you better today than we did yesterday, better tomorrow than we did today. God, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Because without it, there's no way we could even pursue this. God, we thank you so much for loving us so much that you'd send us your son to die on our behalf and make this relationship, make this conversation even possible. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.